David, take Michael and go down and talk to the people about the sexual abuse happening in the LDS Church. Yes, Elohim, I shall take Michael and we shall go down. Come, Michael, let us go down. We will go down, David. Thank you. What do you see, Michael? I see a lot of sexual abuse happening in the LDS Church, David. I'm seeing a lot of scantily clad women and nothing but fig leaves. I'm not sure <laughs> what's going <laughs> Do you think we really should return and report? Father might us, be pissed. <laughs> let us wait a while before we return and report, David. Let us partake of the abundance of this garden. <laughs> right. Uh, Oh, my God. Okay, well, we're making light, but... Uh, heavy subject. Yes, heavy subject today. Um, we haven't completely decided on a title yet, so that'll be revealed when we publish this episode. But it's about sexual abuse in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. And, um, you know, let's preface this with just some groundwork or whatever phrase you want to use. Why is this a topic? Why are we talking about this? Why is this even an issue? Um, so it, it begins with kind of the process and procedure in the LDS church. So first of all, you have these leaders called into positions starting with really as as low on the totem pole as like an elders quorum president, right? But we could really focus mostly on the bishop of individual wards, stake presidents. Really, those two roles are the most involved in this topic, the bishops and the stake presidents. And our listeners are probably going to know who those people are in the structure of the church, so we don't have to go through that in detail if not, there's a lot of detail online, obviously, that you can look into and see how the church is, is organized. Um, and these leaders are not trained counselors or therapists, probably 99% of the time. You know, you're talking the plumber who lives down the street, uh, the lawyer who has a little private firm, uh, the dentist, the, the carpet layer, you know, <laughs> painter. Uh, all of a sudden, they're asked to be a bishop. They don't have a background in counseling or therapy. And probably more problematically for this topic, no background check is run on these individuals. Okay, So they could be, for, for all anyone knows, they could have a criminal record that's significant, that's important to their local little uh, congregation there, that, that they would be put in a, a position of trust. Uh, so that's an issue. No background checks. And really very little church training. They're basically handed a manual. There's a couple videos that they can watch that lead them through some topics. It's We're not talking about, you know, a one or two year technical degree level of training either. <laughs> Just here, good luck, right? Here's the instruction manual. Um, and and, and so these guys, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just, they're just men. I mean just men. I mean, they're average people, some highly educated, but I, I would say they represent the spectrum of humanity. I mean, I, sure, I've yeah. seen bishops from every walk of life. Um, 
but then they're held up to this standard. They're given this so-called gift of discernment, and now they're placed in a position where uh, I think sometimes they themselves are even uncomfortable. I believe that you've got every, again, type of personality behind that chair, and some of them may not even really want to be there, and especially being involved in some of these interviews. And then the other extreme is those that, that I don't know what they stay up at night looking forward to interviewing 12 and 13-year-old boys and girls. Most of them not, I'm sure. But not yeah. the majority. They're they're yeah. good people uh, in, by Mormon so, standards, you know. Well, and we should backstep a moment. So this is the situation that you have with these men. It's only men, obviously. Women can't hold the priesthood or have these positions in the church. And there's a process and procedure in the church where there's regular interviews conducted. So this is the second step, right? So you have these guys in their positions. Now you have a policy in the church. It's really a policy where you are regularly interviewed from before baptism age, from before age eight, as children are getting ready to be baptized, they start to... this this regular what will become a regular interview process for the rest of their lives really um especially through youth though it's very concentrated in youth years uh while you're in the primary program when you're in the young women and young men program so you're really talking from age seven or so all the way up to age 18 as far as regularly paced interviews, you know, at least once a year, sometimes as frequently as quarterly, depending on the situation. And in these interviews, you are asked various questions. They're, they're worthiness interviews. So are you worthy? Are you in good standing in the church? And so we talk, you know, the, the interviews talk, go through a number of topics, right? Honesty, integrity, you know, are you are you cheating in school? Are you are you honest with you know your teachers and your parents and your friends and it, with good topics, right? But one of the series of questions is about are are you chaste? Are you obeying the law of chastity? And this is where we start getting into murky waters because these men are told you have to ask these kids. And not just kids, right? You have interview worthiness interviews as adults as well, if you want a temple recommend. And these happen individually. So uh, uh, an adult single woman, for example, might be interviewed by this man. Uh, are you sexually pure? You know, and, and questions come out. Uh, do you masturbate? Do you touch yourself? You know, and... And that's not all, right? Then we go into details. Oh, you do. Well, how often uh, do you do you climax? You know, do you have an orgasm? Do you? What are you thinking about? Well, are you viewing pornography? While are you viewing doing... pornography in yeah. association with this? Right. All this. Well, <laughs> uh, so many problems with this that that you almost don't even know where to begin. Right. Number one. Since this line of questioning starts so young, most of these kids, 
I don't know if the word most is appropriate, knowing what kids talk about at school. A lot of these kids, okay, this is the first time they've heard terms like masturbation. Uh, This may be the first time that they've been directly questioned about pornography, right? Like, well, huh, good point. I, I guess there is a bunch of pornography out there on the internet. And so, you know, Dave, I know you had thoughts about what that creates, well, you're first of all, you're introduce like you just said, you're introducing something uh, to a lot of these kids that may have not been introduced to them till a later time. So here's the bishop in in a so-called effort to um, question um, the purity, whatever the worthiness mm-hmm. of, which that's a whole other issue. What the hell, anyway, of a, of a young man or woman is now is placing ideas and thoughts into their head that they didn't have before that interview. Curiosity takes over. Now, next time I interview, I can say, hell yeah, I masturbate. Thanks for (laughs) letting me know about that. I'm glad you brought it up, Bish. Thanks a lot, bud. But but no, more than that, there's two more issues. One of them is, of course, guilt. Oh, yeah. And so I get to feel like a piece of shit mm-hmm. because I'm doing what my biology is, is cre- how it's created within me. These are natural urges. This is something every young man and woman explores to varying degrees, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's normal, and I'm being told it's a sin and depending on what resource, even next to murder, yes. I'm like, holy shit. I, but, yeah. but the urge is so strong. And then every time I do it, I spiral into self-destructive uh, behaviors, maybe mm. uh, even suicidal type of tendencies it, in extreme cases. I feel so bad about this. And I'm so confused about God giving me a body where these latent forces are are held captive by some old man in a chair that says don't do that stuff well i I think dave hold that thought because the the thing that comes to my mind when you describe that is this is the best case scenario okay so in in these interviews the best case scenario that you're doing for these children and these you know, single women or, you know, whoever you're interviewing. And these interviews, by the way, we didn't mention, uh, they, they happen behind closed doors, one-on-one with an adult man. Okay. So that, that's another issue. And we'll talk about more in a second. In the best case scenario, you're creating a psychological maelstrom for these people, for these kids, right? So you're, to your point, Dave, you are creating this psychological phenomenon, which is very unhealthy. You're teaching them that natural urges, natural tendencies are not only sin, they're, they're only, the only thing worse is murdering someone. Holy shit. Right. (laughs) That's pretty, that's pretty fucking serious. You know, that's not, oh, I stole something from the store. This is a thousand times worse than that. Right. And, um, 
And so what is that going to do to a young mind, right? Well, I'm feeling these, ur- I'm, my body's changing, I'm, I'm getting these urges, but oh, this is shameful. This is dirty. This is wrong. I'm wrong. I'm dirty, you know? Well, then, oh my God, what, got, what are you teaching this child? You've got judgment that's created Yeah. in yeah. all cases with all these different commandments where now I'm looking at my, my peers and I'm thinking, gee, I wonder if they masturbate or am I the only sinner in this group? So now, I, common, now I, yeah. I feel yeah, even the, worse because that's right. I'll, bet, I'll bet Joey and Sally don't masturbate. Exactly. And, and, and I'm weak. I'm I'm yes. just kind of a piece of shit, actually. God is upset with me. This kind of thing. I there's a story when I was a teacher, <laughs> teacher's quorum. This poor so we're guy, talking 14, 14, 14, 15. This poor guy had just been called as teacher's advisor, that I think they called it. Mm-hmm. And he's in his mid-30s and a fairly new member of the church, actually. And he's being told by this manual that he has to teach a lesson on the law of chastity. And in that lesson, he must bring up the subject of masturbation. So he tells an old joke about being a fisherman's helper. And he's he's a novice baiter. He's (laughs) learning how to bait the, the, the hooks. And my boss told me that once I got really good at it, I'd become a master baiter. So... It, it, it was it's not that bad of you know it's a really awkward uh, subject uh, yeah, so yes. so i i gave him credit i'm like well, at least he got through that fucking iceberg there and you know yeah, now now it's out on the out table it. but he didn't yeah. know what to do next so he just randomly asked one of the kids in the room what do you think about masturbation well jesus christ you're surrounded by your peers and the guy, the kid starts laughing, of course, and says, I don't know. I've never tried it. Bullshit, you know. But, I mean, where do you go with it from there? And so, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, the, yeah, the whole thing is unhealthy at several different levels. So so that's the best case scenario. And, and that would be bad enough, I think we would all agree. But what we discovered, which shouldn't be a shock... When you have a situation that you've created there, well, let's finish up on the best case scenario because it's so awesome, right? Such a great case. So everything we just talked about is happening. You are creating also a situation, and this is this is something I didn't know as much about, you know, from a I, like guess a research or an academic point of view, until I started looking into some of these things as they were surfacing in the news, and. Um, that you know it makes a lot of sense, and that is uh, the abuse that can happen, and we'll talk about that a little more in a second. But what leads to that oftentimes is you have a situation. So, so in sexual abuse that's conducted, you know, so these perpetrators will. Let's just talk about the scenario of of youth, okay, kids that are being sexually abused. A pedophile who has been doing this for a while, they have a process they call grooming. Well, they don't call it, you know, whatever, psychology or whatever calls it grooming. Grooming is a term I hadn't used in that way before until I started hearing more about this topic. You think you hear grooming and you think, oh, you know, 
take a shower and <laughs> brush your teeth and whatever. Um, no, we're talking about a process where they, in stages, they make a child comfortable uh, to the point where they will allow themselves to be sexually abused. Because if you were to throw that on most people right off the bat, right, you close the door and all of a sudden you reach for the kid and you, and you, oh, help, you know, and they'd probably run or, you know, whatever, right? I mean, so you groom these kids if you're a pedophile and it, it's this process. And so what you're teaching these kids, a big part of the grooming process is to normalize the act of talking about sexual topics with an adult and so and most of the time an adult male right we have female examples of this as well so i'm talking about all these things with this adult man behind a closed door one-on-one as a child minor and this is taught to me that this is normal it's normal bobby to go into this room with this adult man alone and talk about sexually explicit topics that's okay, Bobby. That's normal. Well, no. <laughs> that's not normal. In fact, that's dangerous. And mm. I don't care if the guy isn't a pedophile. Most of the time they aren't, right? There's a lot of that going on in the church. Talk about that again. But uh, most, I was lucky. I didn't grow up with a pedophile as a bishop, at least one that, you know, that targeted me. Um, a lot of people are lucky with that, but what it still teaches you is damaging. It teaches you not only the damage we talked about earlier with self-guilt and all this kind of crap, self-hate and so forth. It also teaches kids that's normal, right? So if their English teacher, hey, Bobby, let me meet with you after school. I got something to talk with you about. And he pulls the kid into his back office and starts talking to him about sexual topics. Well, Bobby's acclimated to that. Mm-hmm. His bishop does that. That's normal. Okay, I trust this guy. It's normal. And guys, that's not normal. So you're teaching kids that this dangerous behavior is normal as well. This is the best case scenario. In the worst case scenario, the bishop's a pedophile. And he is grooming the kid, and he does sexually abuse the kid. Mm-hmm. And that's happening. Well, think and about, has happened. Yeah. Think about the psychological damage of bringing a child into your trust by degrees, as you mentioned. And at first, most kids would perceive this as, oh, this man, whatever, really cares, cares about, about me. me. Yeah. Seems to be spending some extra special time with me and he's saying how much he likes me and likes talking to me and maybe he might even give me gifts and 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 then it just gets deeper and deeper and then you betray that trust what have you just taught that child Hmm. adults are not to be trusted yeah so there's another mind fuck another aspect of it And this environment is created, think about the environment the church created simply by having the temple ordinance 
that must be kept secret at the cost of your life. Mm. So here's a hotbed of secrecy. The whole structure is involved in secrecy. So when I see the bishop, he reminds me before and after, if not more than that, what we talk about here today is secret. Mm. You will not talk about it with others. You're grooming them to make the ultimate secret, you know, secrets and, and oaths and covenants in the temple. Now, why does God, think about big picture here, why does God want anything to be secret, secret. to his children? Yes. How does that work? How does that help anybody in any way? Mm-hmm. So I kind of jumped off there a little bit, but no. And then you're jumping to a topic that we'll talk about in a later episode as well. We we talked about this offline, elitism, uh, and one of the aspects of elitism is secrecy. Right? I know something you don't. Um, I'm I'm elite, and that's that's a whole other topic, like we said. But um, yeah, you're right. So all sorts of damaging things going on here. Uh, not only is everything else we just talked about true, but by the way, this is all secret, Timmy. So we won't tell your parents. We won't tell. And the kids, like kids, hey, that's kind of mysterious to a kid. Ooh, this is cool. This is secret, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, well, something else could be happening there that shouldn't be secret. And um, we've got a problem. And so if we fast forward on this topic, we've got a situation where sexual abuse is, has been happening in the LDS church since, it, since its inception. I mean, all you got to do is look at its founder, Joseph Smith, who married a 14-year-old girl, a 15-year-old girl. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think, three or four of the girls he married were 14, 15. Um, that's pedophilia. <laughs> I mean, statutory rape, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, so, hey, it starts at the top, as they say. Um, now, that was different, right? Because he openly, well, not openly to Emma, for not openly to most people for a while, speaking of secrecy, until it eventually came out. Um but it was open after that. I mean, you had prophets after Joseph who married, and I don't recall. There's statistics online. You can look it up. Uh, there's a couple, a few prophets that married girls as young as 15. Uh, I think even Brigham Young, one of his wives was 15 when he married her. Um, Probably. So, yeah, I think I just looked this up recently. The point is this. Okay, that's different. We're talking about interviews and you know behind bishops and stuff like that uh there's no reason to think that this uh pedophilia behavior has not existed from the beginning pedophilia has existed for probably as long as humanity um as long as psychological disorder has been existent in people um it has yeah and uh hundreds and thousands of cases folks it's 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 rampant very common. I have a special situation uh, 
I don't know that any of you listening would be saying, well, you know, what gives you the qualification to speak about this? You're, you're not a counselor. And well, first of all, our motivation here is to expose this behavior so that whatever steps can be taken, it can be eradicated. That's it. Get mm-hmm. straight to the point. Stop this shit. Okay. Yeah. But I had an experience after my divorce, I became, uh, got in a relationship with a lady who was a victim of extreme uh, sexual abuse. And for a period of almost three years, we went through, I would call it a form of therapy, wherein she was able to recall those experiences. Mm. And she has since written eight books. (laughs) She She thought it would be one when she started. Uh, Mother, Murder, and Mayhem. I'm going to read two sentences from her introduction to her book here. Um, Sure I am. Where's my glasses? (laughs) Oh, no, I got a magnifying glass right here. (laughs) In my childhood, I experienced domestic violence, sexual abuse, prostitution, and ritual murder of children and adults. Oh my I God. repressed most everything until I was in my 30s. And then she goes on to explain how she started to get what we call flashbacks and images. And that happened and had been happening until I met her when she was 55. She's now 63. Uh, the one book became eight. What's her motivation? To bring up these harrowing, terrific Uh, terrific, horrific experiences. Uh, Why? Because she wants it to stop. Yeah. And and you can't stop something that you don't expose. And so I was with her and I, you could say, well, what would your benefit be staying with the person while they're going through this? She helped me reclaim a lot of repressed memories that I had as well. So it was Mm. working hand in hand and uh, just basically helped us both to gain a, a greater level of peace in our life. When I first met her, she was all hunched over, rarely mm. smiled. And if you look at the picture on the back of her book, her her latest book is The Crown on top of the other eight. The other eight's about the abuse. The latest book is all the healing techniques that she learned as a result of trying to heal her own life, which I became familiar with just about everything that she has written in her book. If you look at her picture on the back of that book, you can see the light. Mm. She's, she's basically been healed. Most, most kids, uh, adults even don't make it. They, no. her, her siblings did not make it. Uh, these kind of experience. So it's real. It's, it's a rough subject. It's like, I, God, I, I don't want to talk about that. Well, think about the innocent children. That's right. Think, think about a young girl cowering in the corner of her bedroom, probably crying and wondering what the fuck's going on. Yeah. I thought I could trust the Bishop and what that does to them oh, for maybe yeah. the rest of their life. Yeah. Well, okay, it's I'm be. off my soapbox now. No, it's no, and it's a, it's a, the kind of soapbox we need to be on, right? So, speaking of, uh, you made a really good statement there about you can't fix something if it's not exposed, 
and this concept of secrecy being harmful. And that's a great segue into the fact that more and more of this has been exposed, right? So there was this misnomer, this misunderstanding, probably through most of the lay membership of the church, high 90 percentile, I'm sure, unless they were the unfortunate percentile that had gone through this nightmare in their families, which are too many to talk about, unfortunately, um, that would think, well, you know, here we go with the elitism concept again. Since this, this is the only true and living church of Jesus Christ on the face of the planet, we don't have those kind of problems. God's <laughs> church doesn't have those problems. Oh, that silly Catholic church. Oh, did you see that movie Spotlight, man, where they talked about uh, all the the sex abuse that that Catholic church has been hiding? Oh, shame on them. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what, guys? The Mormon Church probably has as much or more sex abuse. My happening. my feeling, and I don't have the statistics, is that it runs through organized religion pretty much the same percentages. We oh, could yeah. be a little higher simply because we again make that claim. Yeah, uh, and, and that was the one true thing going on on the planet, which allows it to stay hidden. That's right, more. right. And you could compare, right, uh, a Catholic priest, for example, confession, which is private, secret, confidential, yeah. right. right? Confess to me, my child. And the child confesses these sexual thoughts and things, and the priest gets turned on, and next thing you know, Johnny and the priest are meeting outside of the confessional, one-on-one, which has been normalized for Johnny. The difference here being that the Catholic Church does actually have training <laughs> for their priests. Yeah, I mean, that obviously hasn't stopped the issue, but, no. but the point is, uh, how much worse would it be in a situation where you have no training? Well, hello, Mormon Church. Okay, so could be more. Who knows, yeah. right? Statistics aside, all sorts of stuff has been coming out, right? So recently, a Vice News article uh, about this guy who, uh, this kid who the the ward was using to um, babysit their children, come to find out he was sexually abusing their kids. You know, the bis- the bishop and the church goes to bat for the guy, which is always what happens. The victims are further victimized. And the church has this hotline because, look, the bishop doesn't know shit, okay? Maybe a great guy, but he doesn't know shit as far as dealing with these things. So when any kind of abuse comes to the bishop's attention, he has one thing to do, call the church hotline. The church hotline, we are told, is fielded on the, on the front end by the LDS Social Services call center, and then they forward that call along to an organization called Curtin McConkie. <laughs> Curtin McConkie is one of the church's law firms, and they deal almost exclusively with abuse cases in the church. And their whole purpose is to protect the church, not the, yeah. not the individual. Protect the church. Hide this shit. So we have hundreds and hundreds of cases that have been exposed out there to date 
of and that's probably, uh, that's it's the tip big, of the iceberg, right? We know the, the statistics. Point is that yeah. the the person who maybe went to the bishop? It's it's not the bishop. They were abused by a neighbor, a fellow yeah, yeah. member of the ward. Okay, uh, right. maybe even a family member. So they go to their trusted ecclesiastical leader. And he kind of just sweeps it under the rug. And especially if it's someone in a higher position in the church, and he says, well, you know, the Lord taught us to forgive and forget or some mm-hmm. lame shit like that. Yeah. Instead of having a policy where it should immediately be turned over to authorities. And so now this person is even more uh, conflicted. They're like, well, wait a minute. And that they could even turn that into self guilt. Like, well, maybe, maybe I created the situation. Mm, <laughs> yeah. It gets bad. It gets really bad. Well, it gets bad because uh, look what happens when it hen- ends up in the hands of Curtin McConkie. Ninety nine percent of the time, there are a couple things that are that result from that. One is an NDA. Again, secrecy. Let's not talk to anybody about this. Let's not expose the the perpetrator. Okay. Number two, uh, some kind of settlement. So Timmy got abused. Uh, let's say it was his scout leader in the church or, uh, his, his deacons, you know, teacher or something. Um, well, you know, let's forgive, um, you know, to make you feel better, Timmy's mom and dad, how about $50,000 and let's just, uh, here, sign this NDA. You can't talk about this with anybody. Well, now Timmy's perpetrator goes on to perpetrate upon Jimmy and Bobby and Sue. And, you know, this guy continues because that's not the way to stop pedophilia, folks. Hiding it does not help. And this guy needs help or he needs to go to jail. And if you if you can extend that, kind of empathy which is extremely difficult to do you do have to realize these people are sick yes and probably victims of abuse themselves as were their abusers most always yeah most always it's being perpetuated and they're just another you know whatever beat on the string and it and it will not stop until it's just brought out into broad daylight well, hell, we can't have that. We can't admit that we as Mormons are just as human as you guys, that we yeah. have as many problems as you guys do. No, and guys, up. this goes to the top. So David and I have we have we just light research on this, right? And you can find all sorts of stuff out there right now. This ha- This goes into the general authority level. Okay, there's stories out there where general authorities have been the perpetrators. They have been shielded by the church, especially because these guys usually have friends that are higher up, uh, like even apostle level. So they're going to shield them and protect them from being, you know, prosecuted in these events and and push the forgive, you know, uh, suggestion. Um, and they're going to cover the church. So we talked about the Vice article. Everybody's probably heard about Joseph Bishop by now. That was a case. Was that last year now or way earlier? Yeah. Well, I mean, it happened way back oh, when yeah. he was MTC president. But yeah, yeah. So president about yeah. 
Within the last year, yeah. Yeah, president of the MTC. Well, doesn't he have a special calling? Wouldn't God make sure that guy was worthy before put in that being put in that position of trust? Uh, well, evidently not. <laughs> uh, Sterling Van Wagenen is another one that came out. He's one of the guys who made some of the Temple films. That's pretty prestigious and worthy, isn't it? But he's turned out to be a pedophilia uh, what is the a pedophile yep. is the, is the noun, right? Um, yeah. David Moss, actually Dave and I brought that story up a few podcasts ago, the Bishop in, in uh, Lehigh, Utah, that was involved in uh, child pornography and human trafficking. Human trafficking. I mean, the yep. list goes on and on and on guys. And here's, here's the issue. Uh, there is a, a, an unfounded trust by the membership in these, in these priesthood authority, um, and you know, the, the trust here as well, it's multifold, right? Well, God calls these men into their positions. Number one, he wouldn't call a predator into a position to hurt the flock. Okay. That's one of the beliefs. Another belief, if you're in a bishop role, a stake president role, you have this, uh, power of discernment. You're, you're given this gift of discernment. And um, that means you can discern when someone is telling the truth or someone is lying about, especially important stuff like this, you know? And so we look at the case of uh, the Vice News article. One of the moms brought it to the attention of the bishop. The bishop interviewed the guy who, who was babysitting these kids. And he goes back to the mom. He said, you know, the spirit has told me that he's not guilty, that he's telling the truth. Oh, as oh. has it. Okay, well, guess what? It looks like that spiritual discernment didn't exist because the kid is guilty, and he's in he's in prison right now, and, and was found guilty twice before any of that shit happened. So, oh, background check. Yeah. So, what you know, what? Uh, guys, what there is no power of discernment. There is no spirit in these men that is telling them that someone is telling the truth, that someone is lying. There is, that is absolute and utter proven to be false dozens and dozens of times bullshit. Right. And, you know, I talked to, to give you an idea, right. Of the TBM mindset on this. I, I shared one of these sex abuse cases on Facebook a while back and said, people, let's uh, let's you know stop this. I shared Sam Young's effort, protectldschildren.org. Please check it out if you haven't heard of that and, and looked at that yet. Uh, and Sam Young's effort, bishop in the LDS church, this time a good guy. <laughs> and he, he says, we got to change our policy, guys. Stop meeting with kids one-on-one -on -one behind a closed door and asking them sexual questions. Yeah. Simple thing. Come on. That's it. Change the policy. Don't do it anymore. Stop it. And he got excommunicated, of course, because you can't tell the brethren what to do. Only God does that, right? <laughs> and um, look, case after case after case. And, and so what do I hear from, from one of the TBMs on Facebook when I threw this out here? Well, I trust my key holders. I trust mm -hmm. my key, my meaning priesthood key holders. Do you now? So you've been lucky enough to not have a pedophile for a bishop is what you're telling me, right? Because they're out there, man. And they keep coming into the news as hard as the church is trying to 
hide that 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 mindset this is a, not really off topic, but I, I was closing a Sunday school class and asked for a sister to give the closing prayer. And George Bush had just been elected president. Mm. The senior, in senior prayer, or junior? Junior. Junior. And in her prayer, she said, and God, we're so grateful that a righteous man has been called to be president. <laughs> oh my God. I will never ask you to say another fucking prayer again. Do you know what this man, the kind of bullshit he's so, but yeah, that blind trust, that stupid, Oh uh, God. God, it's so, so childish. I mean, elder Mickelson tried to pay his son-in-law, Ron Karen mm. money to shut up about his pedophilia. Here's some money. Shut up. Go away. Yeah. It yeah. gets it gets really bad. There's another aspect we're at 40 minutes that that maybe needs to be brought up. Not only is there the sexual abuse and you know the inappropriate questioning of children, adults will come in and married couples and and have to be subjected to ridiculous questions. I had just gotten home from my mission. I'm sitting in an elders core meeting and this guy teaching the lesson got up and says, I just found out that oral sex is not accepted by the brethren. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Who cares what kind of sex you have with your legally married oh spouse? Oh my God, as long as it's consensual. Right. Oh my God. And you know, there's oh. the examples it just go on and on. <laughs> just get the hell out of my bedroom, man. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Oh, well, you know, the good news is uh, we've had bishops and other leaders in the past that say that exactly what you just said, right. Have literally just kind of smiled to us and said, I'm going to stay out of your bedroom. And I'm like, thank you. Cause that, yeah, I don't, that's not a good image. <laughs> They are different. These guys are different. Yeah. All of them are different. But Whatever. yeah, they're all different. Um, but yeah, man. <laughs> uh, well, they changed the temple ceremony uh, many times, obviously, over the decades, because God changes his mind a lot. We've established that fact. Um, and one of the things that you used to uh, kind of, whatever, covenant in the law of chastity in the temple was very explicitly the law of chastity meant one thing. You were to have no sexual intercourse with anybody other than your lawfully wedded spouse. Okay, end of story, very cut and dry. Well, you know what the members did with that? They ran as far as they could. <laughs> so I'm going to do everything I can outside of actual sexual intercourse, and I'm still obeying the law of chastity. So they changed it. And I witnessed this change. It was interesting. I, I just kind of shook my head. The first time I heard the change was from sexual intercourse to you will have no uh, sexual relations. Relations, correct. Well, what does relations mean? That's very broad, right? I, I did not have sex with that woman. <laughs> okay, Clinton. Whatever you said. <laughs> it was with a cigar. Oh, oh well, that's okay. Oh, okay. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't yeah. it didn't totally help because the word relations is very subjective right but uh it it took the excuse away 
well, we didn't have intercourse. Okay, well, you're come on, you know. So anyway, <laughs> um, I don't know how I got on that. So we're gonna we should wrap it up. We're we're gonna be close to forty five minutes. That seems to be about what we're hitting now. We said, oh, let's do it in thirty when we first started this podcast, and it seems that we get closer to forty to fifty. Yeah, you win bad. Yeah, I know. What the hell's wrong with me? Damn. Well, I've got as much hot air as anybody. So, well, I'm I'm normalizing. I'm I'm normalizing the behavior of long podcasts. Shame on me. Oh, that should not be yeah. normalized. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't, if you can do John Delin, you can do anything. So, and I'm not putting him down. I'm just saying, my God, you know, five six. I hour. hope we never get to that. Right. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to get to that point. Hey, um, thanks again, guys, to li- for listening. We have a, a a a very disparate user audience. We we've got teenagers listening to the show. We've got older folks. We've got people listening on all kinds of devices all across the United States. Some overseas. Um, we're glad to have you. We're glad to uh, to kind of I don't know commiserate, share with you. Uh, make this journey with you as uh, wherever you are in your in your faith in your beliefs, and um, this is a very important topic. And we want it can't be exposed enough. There's no such thing. Uh, please visit protectldschildren.org. See what Sam Young is doing over there. Take a look at that Vice article. Just search Vice article LDS Church, and it'll pop right up. Um, this is coming out and it's damn good. It's, it's way late, but, uh, better late than never, as they say, uh, Dave back to you, man. This is, I just realized, you know, part of the exodus from religion is, uh, as a result of this being exposed in almost all churches. Mm, Yeah. Using religious organizations as a cover to get a, away with all kinds of shenanigans mm. putting it lightly uh yeah there there's uh again i don't have the stats but a pretty big exodus from organized religion um mm. yeah of course that's a good thing i hope people are heading in the right directions i hope that you know ultimately we're all um trying to make it a better place to live uh that pretty much excludes uh Sexual abuse. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's not on the list. That would be one of the first things to go out the door. Yeah, that's um, right. not uh, not an ingredient of a happy place to live. Um, and, you know, we make light. We're having some jo- some jokes here, but we're not making light of the topic. And um, terrible, terrible situation. Let's all, in whatever way we can, whatever way works for you, uh, help bring exposure, you know, just post something on social media, help bring exposure to this issue. Exposure will let the air and the sunlight come in and hopefully dry this shit up. Uh, and let's hope that God changes his mind again. Wink, wink. And we get some serious policy changes in the church that actually make a difference that actually protect these kids. I actually believe it will happen. Yeah. The pressure will become so great and it and so let's just get that going. Yeah. Anyway, peace on you my brosters and sosters. Uh we will Yeah, what Dave said. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and uh my 
my dudes and dudesses. <laughs> yeah, there's that dudes and dudesses thing. Um, whatever. Uh, catch you guys on the flip side and uh, take care. We'll talk to you again.